1: Second time it's
2: gone on. Never got home, they never got home, they never got, got home, those
3: those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right.
4: lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. I finally caught up with a bit of Blue Planet Two this weekend. David Attenborough's hit show on BBC, his latest hit show on the BBC, and I couldn't help but think that the humble crab reminded me of someone. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Comes <laughs> Podcast. Hi, <laughs> Murph. people have been wondering what's happened. People have actually demanded this. Not many people, but some people. Enough si- people for you to do it at least. Yeah, Simon, you're it,
1: producers mainly.
4: Simon did email me earlier this morning and say a couple of people have been demanding this. In fact, you might even use the term demanding enough for me to go the comparison here no no go for I it I
1: genuinely missed the all.
4: the poor creature looked uncertain at first as he tried to navigate a safe passage through some choppy waters to the seaweed covered rocks on the other side the rocks of course representing the last four majors that Tiger Woods needs to tie <laughs> Jack Nicklaus's records in those waters lurks the moray eel a specialist crab hunter with blunt teeth designed to easily grip and crush a crab's shell oh, he- hello Jordan yeah, exactly. Very <laughs> similar to the rest. These are so formulaic. You actually could. Very similar to the rest of the world's golfers, not just okay, Jordan, yeah, trying yeah. to crush Tiger with their booming drives and consistent putting, mm. specially designed teeth. Yeah, okay. Not only that, but the crab must also find a path around a large octopus trying to lay its slithery tentacles on Woods. You get bonus points if you get this get this analogy. Uh, slithery, slimy. Uh, very similar to the rest of the. Oh no, I've already done that bit. The way the world's media has laid its slithery tentacles all over Tiger's lurid private life.
2: Yeah, yeah, sorry, you know, I should have guessed that. And
4: I do not need to tell anybody how this pursuit ends. The crab makes it past all these obstacles, despite being dragged under the water at one point by the eel. He gets to the promised land and has precisely two hours to enjoy the seaweed, slash win those four majors, before the tide turns, and he has to make the return journey through those same... Hazardous (laughs) hazardous <laughs> waters tiger came joint nine in the hero world challenge <laughs> that's what I'm trying okay to say. people
2: get, yeah if you I mean
1: if you know for the for
2: those clear. of you who
4: couldn't even make that connection <laughs> he even led the, the tournament
1: the, the tide is obviously the aging process
4: yes ah very good yes Thanks. that was that, that's by a mile the best <laughs> analogy of, I'm sorry honestly. it really is he even led the tournament for a couple of minutes yeah. at least to get people pretty excited Had a, about twenty seconds terrible, enough, yeah yeah enough for I would say
2: ninety five thousand tweets to Tell us all the Tiger Woods. The American Networks
4: went
1: absolutely nuts about this. He looked in pretty
4: good physical shape. But Lawrence Donegan would have been watching it on those American Networks, so we'll hear what he has to make of it, or what he made of it, a little bit later on. It's Champions Cup week. Champions Cup weekends coming up over the next couple of weekends. Three Ireland versus England battles in Leinster in particular. Simon, looking in pretty good shape after the weekend. They have another electric player in their back three. <laughs>
1: yeah. Just what they need. <laughs> James Lowe has just come over from New Zealand. Scored two tries. Looked really smart. Combined with players he couldn't know very well. Is You know, looks a, a real bubbly personality. You can see his demeanour on the pitch. He's really upbeat. Uh, so he comes in. Ringrose Rose comes back for his first game of the season after injury. Scores a try. Hits the ground running, looks perfect as well. Van der Flier plays like the elite international back rower that he is. And Lencer already got uh, maximum points in this competition. They're, I think they've only lost two games in the Pro 14. They, w- When you take these three or four players that have come back in on top of the original 25 amazing players they have, uh, you'd have to say they're the most talented team, I think, at the Champions Cup now. Really? Um, more so than all the big French teams? They certainly have a more um, talented and, and, and. Saracens, say, Sa- Saracens, Saracens one, yeah. are considered the most talented team or the talented most talented unit, I suppose. Mm. But Leinster have a more talented backline, I would say. And um, with the addition of the likes of Scott Fardy and just the range of options they have in their back row, they can certainly compete with Saracens.
4: Are any of those Leinster players in as good a physical nick as our Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar? He started the day by showing off the guns of the world's media and then flexed his political muscles over Brexit. If any part... Of the border issue have been confusing to you as they have been to me and others. Well, there's only one thing for it: get onto the world service train and get listening to Ken's latest political podcast. A lot of people have been in touch about Ken's conversation with Edward Burke on Brexit and the border problem last week.
3: For example, one academic from King's College London asked a, a question about what was Ireland willing to concede he basically got laughed out of the room
2: you know, and, and... Well, well Ed though did he get laughed out of the room for asking that question or did he get laughed out of the room for suggesting that Ireland should rejoin the British Commonwealth
3: That is, in fact,
2: what he what he 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 suggested we should. The laugh, the laugh, like the punchline was when he mentioned the words, "Why don't you join the British Commonwealth?" That's what everybody laughed. Some of
3: their instincts often come from a good good position, right? So they just want to bring us close, right? We find that laughable sometimes, but but you know what we shouldn't be doing is shouting and laughing. You know what I mean? This is you know an Englishman scorned.
4: Let's reach out and kill the DUP with kindness. Some life advice there from. Okay, and already to listen to that piece in full, you must be a World Service member, so join us today for the best independent, commercial-free broadcasting. Go to secondcaptains.com, do it all for just five euro a month plus fat, and you can get all of our shows and back catalogue today. Murphy would encourage people to get on there now and start listening to all those many podcasts. That of, of course, of course. I mean, I, I must draw up a list of the top,
2: I don't know, 150 or so, <laughs> just to narrow it down for you and make your uh, listening... Uh, 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 experience as pleasurable as possible
4: Uh, among the many great shows coming up in the world service this week we've got our sports book of the year special that list won't include the second captain's sports annual this year as we're saving volume three for 2018 but there are some lovely christmas present ideas on our website we've got an awesome new batch of second captain's world service t-shirts in stock you can have a look at them on SecondCaptain's.com now and there's a nice little 10% discount for our lovely world service members just oh you're amazing indeed just one of the many perks of signing up I believe we'll have some sexy Richie Sadler photographs to show off the t-shirts at some point.
2: They they will be suitable for work but just barely.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It looks like little old Ireland has managed to put it up to our Brexiting neighbours but will Britain exact revenge (laughs) in the European rugby arena over the next couple of weeks. Three Irish teams facing three teams in the Aviva Premiership. Munster and Leinster warmed up with identical easy victories over the weekend. Jerry Thorny, welcome to studio. Thank you very much. Munster versus Leicester at Thoman Park has the, the feel of the old money glamour clash about it, but I heard Donegal Callan on the weekend talking about the, the view in the dressing rooms in England, and he feels there's a lot of excitement around Exeter against Leinster, that it's very much going to be seen as the, the creme de la creme of the English. It's Essentially, league versus league is the way it's being looked at by players over there.
0: Yeah, I think Leinster shaping up to be the best team in the Pro 14 this season, certainly the best squad, um, and they're making strides towards the top of their conference now, with Scarlet's losing over the weekend, and Exeter are the runaway defending champions and leaders of the Premiership in England, you know, wherever about Saracens going for three European Cups in a row, they've actually lost their last five matches in all competitions. So Le- Leinster are, couldn't be in better nick, but they couldn't be facing stiffer opposition probably than Exeter, and that might even go for the whole of Europe. How
4: have Exeter done that, Jerry? Because there is a lot of money being mm. splashed around. We always hear about the financial might of these clubs in England, but. You look through their playing roster and it's not exactly a, a galaxy
0: of superstar names. No, Jack Knowles a fine player, Henry Slade's a fine player, I really think Knowles' a superb player. Doing that book with Warren Gatlin over the summer, um his lines through diary, he said if you could buy one player for if he was a club coach and you could buy one player in Britain, the first player you'd buy would buy be Jack Knowles, right. just a great attitude, great all around skill set, can play in a number of positions, turns up every week. Um but yeah, you're right. Like somebody like Gareth Steenson, for example, went over there over ten years ago, um, as a championship player. And has ended up becoming a Premiership League winning and a, and a key man for them And I think that's a testament to the system The culture they have um, They're brilliant at retaining possession They can just strangle the life out of a team Just by keeping the, you know, They back their mall, They go to the corner They generally don't come away without scoring um, Thomas Waldron has like something like 45 tries In 80 odd games mm-hmm. Um, so they just play to a very good system they're very aggressive defence they can absorb pressure you saw the way they strangled um, the life out of Glasgow uh, uh, early in the competition and I think Sandy Park I can't remember when they last lost there they're certainly unbeaten there this season they've won five in a row in the premiership and their win away to Montpellier they backed their attacking game plan they're much more Dangerous team, actually, than Montpellier. Montpellier are fairly route one by comparison, and Leicester were able to soak up a lot of pressure. These guys will test you all over the course of the pitch and have a much more varied um, attacking game, which they back. they a superbly coached team um, and great fans. Great Sandy Park has become, you know, the real fortress of English rugby. They're unbeaten there at home this season. So yeah, Leicester are going to really have to be on their game. Are they? Would you say the
1: best coached team in Europe probably, now? Yeah, probably. Would say Gregor Townsend gone to international rugby yeah uh, and you know you talked about Nell as a good player and Slade and the the acquisitions he's made the likes of uh, Steenson and Whitten and these mm. players who wouldn't have been that fancied abroad or even Waldrum um but then also the way that they play is it seems like really suits the play he has a plan so it's not just the way they play but it's the players they brought in to fit the plan as opposed to just buying the best players they can which is exactly what Montpellier do just buy superstars and hope it all fits together.
0: Yeah from loads of different um, nationalities and cultures and it just doesn't blend at all and will take a long time for I think for them to get it right really there. Yeah Exeter are probably the best team, coach team in the Premiership because they um, they wouldn't be the wealthiest they don't spend money they don't have, they're not building up they, big they make, a they, they make a profit, they're one of only two clubs one of only in two the two Premiership. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just a role model really for how it should be done in the professional era and um, they've they've persisted with the same coach for a long time as well Rob Baxter he's been there for a long time and he's brought them up from the championship and uh, they they don't vary from their game they back themselves all the way they're a very very difficult team to break down and they will Persist and hammer away at your try line until they get over it. They're a very hard team to keep out as well. And you're right, that everybody seems to fit in and knows exactly what they have to do. They rotate the squad and it doesn't seem to affect their performance levels at one, one iota. You're at she, the, sorry, Simon, so mean just you're at
4: the Leinster press conference today, mm. Jerry, and I'm just wondering about the excitement around James Lowe after his debut at the weekend and how exactly he's going to fit into the Champions Cup
0: team. I was fortunate enough to interview him during the uh, Lions tour, and I was immediately excited because already Issa Naseba tipped me off that this guy was world class and he couldn't believe they were getting him. Um, and, you know, he ticked every box, he was a real X Factor player. He was the one player he if he could have chosen to, for Lance to buy from New Zealand, it was James Lowe. Then I interviewed him, and he's incredibly easygoing, um, engaging, good humoured, talkative just the kind of profile you would expect that would easily fit into any setup he went to and Leinster being so welcoming to its overseas players who once they come through the door are no longer overseas players he's fitted in there very well by all accounts he's full of chat off the pitch he's uh, coming up with ideas for moves giving them a new dimension so he's really energised the whole group as well coming up with ideas for moves is quite a bonus and co- counter to get from a new player you, yeah. you just want him to slot in normally no and counter and you can see his work rate in Treviso I mean that was in Benetton that was a mud bath of a pitch but he he was able. He really worked across the pitch. He made superb breaks. He scored two tries, set up another one, had a big hand at another one. I mean, it was quite a, quite a, a landmark performance given the circumstances. And uh, he's now one of seven outside backs competing for three places. Yeah, that's why, uh,
4: the, hence the second part of that first question mm. I asked you about him. How, where does he, how do they, they, they can't all fit in, so who's not just, getting in well, there. Well, I was
0: just making notes while Gervin Dempsey was talking this morning. You've got Rob Carney back to his best. You've got uh, James Lowe. You've got uh, Adam Byrne, newly um, test-capped. You've got Eason but the club captain. You've got Dave Carney and Fergus McFadden, two more internationals, and I think the best young talent, arguably in Irish rugby at the moment, in Jordan Larmer. I think he's a sensational player. And he glided over that glue pot last uh, Saturday in, in Benetton and you know his offload to Lowe was one of the highlights of the match and and he was outstanding the week before as well I there's going to be some very very good players who are going to be very very disappointed because they're not even going to make the match day 23 and this is with Joey Carberry injured injured and um, Barry Daly injured yeah
1: I mean Rory O'Loughlin plays on the wing as well yeah, yeah yeah, it's kind of ridiculous I mean we're talking up James Lowe here in terms of on the pitch off the pitch mm. everything about him but they actually don't need him no
0: in the weird way they don't but yet on the basis of what he's achieved in the game so far, on the basis of what he brings to the mix, I think they almost have to start him. I mean, they must have bought him with games like this in mind. He'd certainly be in the match day 23, you'd imagine.
1: I was thinking about this over the weekend because I was watching Ulster, Mm. who have, I think, the same number of back three players as Leinster that could potentially come in. They've got, obviously, Bowe and Trimble, who are kind of getting their place, sometimes not getting their place. Gilroy suddenly has a great game at the weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've Stockdale, obviously. They've Louis Ludic. Um, there's a couple others. Charles
0: Piotr's not bad. <laughs> Charles <Piotr. laughs> and,
1: uh And next month they won't have an out-half.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? They won't have an out-half and... It was a very patchy performance by Ulster at the weekend and you, but you still saw how dependent they are on Lee lifano They just don't have any able deputy for him and it's a shame he's going home in January because he really fitted in very well there. I know he missed the conversion to win the game but it was his try that leveled the match and he, he just brings, it seems to me, he brings a lot of calmness and leadership to that back line as well as all the link play that he does so well and they're going to miss him hugely. That's a huge void for them. They do have a lot of outside backs at the moment. Jacob Stocktail's is in fantastic form. I think Leinster is the only team he hasn't scored against since the end of last season? You know, he scored in, but scored in the summer tour. He scored in every league game bar one this season, and both European games, and he's scored in two Irish tests as well. Like he's just in flying forms. So he walks into the team. So does Piattow. And then you've got, you're right, Bo Gilroy, um, Trimble, uh, Ludic, all fighting for basically one spot. It's
1: just the distribution of talent. What my, I suppose my bigger point is. Surely, teams and CEOs and managers look at the bigger picture and go, "Well, here's the here's our weaknesses. Here's where we need to strengthen." And like Leinster don't really need James Lowe and Ulster
0: don't really need Piattow as brilliant as those two players are. Of course, they're losing Piato at the end of this season, and he's a big game player for them, particularly in Europe. Yeah, uh, you you could argue that. All right, it's, a, it's an odd one. Lowe there as well as Naseba, Do they really need two outside backs? And you know, might this stunt Jordan Larmers' development in some way? Um, but then again, I think. It, Some provinces are overloaded in certain areas because that's where the talent comes through. These things are cyclical. And players want to play for their home province in Ireland and in many ways, that's to be applauded, because that's one of the innate strengths of Irish rugby, that there is such a strong bond and identity with the club, with the club as it is now, in effect, with the fans, with the culture of the, each of their own provinces. And yet we are getting some player movement. Look at Andrew Conway's career down in Munster and a few other players. Look at Marty Moore now going to Ulster next season. Um, so there's some movement within. I think, by and large, the balance is about right, Simon. I think you're right, it gets overloaded in some areas and you you're probably right, James Lowe Lens don't really need him, but he could end up being a match winner that helps them over the game over the winning line in Europe, you know what I mean? And that's that's what you pay the big bucks for.
4: Jerry Munster go into these two pivotal games with a new coach still trying to bed himself in. I don't know how much he would have learned from a facile enough win over the weekend, and more and more speculation that Peter Armani may well leave in early in the new year he's saying today that he's leaving it to his agents to sort that side of it out it's important for me to concentrate on two big games and so on I'm hoping to have it wrapped up one way or the other regardless by the new year and then it's put to him but you're a Munster man true and true aren't you he says, obviously I am, but it's a professional sport, short career. And as I said, hopefully it'll be done by the new year one way or the other. So we've seen this a million times and the vast majority of the times it works out that the player stays in the country. But it's happened with Zebo, it's happened with Sexton, it's happened with a few big, big name players that they actually have gone, which leaves a little bit of doubt in the mind. How, how, would you put a percentage on it now of a, uh, how likely do you think it is that Peter Mahoney leaves Munster in the new year?
0: Wow, that's a tough question. Not really knowing the financial figures at work and what's been offered to him. Um if the discrepancy is as big as it was between um Racing and Munster, Stroke Ireland for Simon Zebo, um if there's something similar, uh, with regard to Peter Armani, I think he will leave. He's tw- he's what he's twenty eight last September. So he's a similar kind of age profile. This is one of the last big paychecks of his career. So it's not just
4: brinksmanship and so on? You think No, be I chance? interviewed
0: him two weeks ago for the week of the South African game and um, as ever, 35 minutes or whatever it was with Peter, just every answer was just straight of the die, as it always is with Peter. And I think he, he's just no bull. What you see is what you get. What, what he says is what he means. He's pretty much uncompromising off the pitch as he is on it. And I think if... I remember asking him about the contract. He said, yes, I want to stay in Munster. I want to stay in Ireland. But they've got to come to the table, and I think. But
1: I think when he says that, he means it. Do you think he'd be hyper aware of the fact that he's constantly written about it as a monster man through and through, and that the RFU would see that as a bargaining chip for them? Yeah. Well, people
4: would have said that about Sexton as well. He's obviously a lencer man through and through. It Must be kind of annoying to have that written about you the whole th- th- time. Th- though. That the implication being, oh, you're never, you're not, you not really going to have the stones or to you, go you're, and, you're to just go sort and of blindly
0: and loyal. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you naive even. Yeah, and you don't want to be taken for for granted either and I think there was an element of that with Dunica Ryan I'm told that when he was downgraded from an international contract to a provincial contract his agent was told by somebody high up in the RFU oh he won't leave Munster but he did and um, there are no guarantees and it's getting a bit worrying now with Dunica Ryan having left and Simon Zebo going to leave that if they were to lose Peter O'Mahony and or C- CJ Stander as well, it really would tear some of the guts out of Munster, what they're about. This is their captain, after all. This is one of their main men. This is what, he, he drives the culture as much as any other player, he's, you know, any other player in Munster. And I, you would have hoped that the RFU will move heaven and earth to keep him because it would be a very damaging blow for do you, Munster do you think the, But I do think there's a real, real risk that he might go. Do you think
1: the RFU do it almost like a mathematical equation at the end of the day, you know, where... They try and work things out, injury profiles, all those sorts of things. Or do you think they take in personality, charisma, whatever you want to call it, X factor, captaincy, all those factors? And also Munster and the position they're in with a new coach, with bogan gone, yeah. uh, with CJ possibly leaving. You know, like that. that I know what you a mean. flux
0: sort of just... rooting the province a little bit again there are ancillary factors at work here it's Mm. not just a case of Peter Omani does he stay or does he go do we reward him financially to stay because he is the Munster captain because the situation Munster in with the change of coach and losing Simon Zebo on top of Duncan just Munster cannot afford to lose Peter Omani and you would hope they'd factor that into the equation all right? I'd be surprised if they didn't um, but then I don't know for sure whether they will or not but it's not just a case of this is a 28 year old player who's slightly injury prone or whatever and you know the, the stocks of back rowers. Ireland are fairly well stocked there. There's a lot of options there. They really need to keep Piotomani and Munster. That's the key here. They, one of the reasons they did Simon Zebo wasn't picked in the November window um, and didn't go down well with a lot of people is that they have to protect the provinces. Well, this is a classic case in point of somebody that, that is a must keep. They do have a new back rower to help O'Manney mm. and Stander
4: out, who's, whose name I was about to try to pronounce, but I've been getting it wrong off air with Simon. So I'll let Simon uh, Clute,
1: up. according to the TV commentators. Yeah,
0: and, and Chris. that's what uh, Stuart Barnes said, Chris Clute. Mm. Um, he looks a hell of a player, doesn't he? Mm. He's brilliant over the ball. He's dynamic. He uh, carries really well. Um, he came with a good name, good reputation, some good form in South Africa last year with the Southern Kings, I think it was. And uh, he looks a really handy acquisition, not least with Tommy O'Donnell now being injured. So that's 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 a bit like James Lowe in in Leinster it's very well timed to get a player just as you come this is the meat of the season now we're going to the back-to-back pivotal games in Europe then there's going to be three rounds of Interpros then another couple of Pro 12 games Pro 14 games rather and then back into rounds 5 and 6 in Europe so this is the defining period of the season for all the provinces and to get a new signing like that gives everybody a lift, let's say, in the whole organisation. Now, of course, the Oman needs to sign on the dotted line and he was staying It'd <laughs> yeah, well, be a bigger but, lift again. Yeah, 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 and Stander as well. But it does give them an option there that I think he's going to probably start against Leicester.
4: They are in one of those classic... I, I really love these back-to-back games. I think they tend to work quite well. They're different. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't happen in most sports. And you do get... you. Not that you think about it necessarily this way. You certainly say you wouldn't. But if you're playing a home game first, thing, right, we win that... We're into bonus, literally into maybe bonus point territory for the second game, and we've done pretty well. So there's ways of managing the two weeks. I get there are things, there are just little nuances at play that you don't often get in in sport. Cause it rarely happens that you just play the same team again two weeks in a row.
0: Yeah, but the only time really it happens, and uh, and in the same competition, it might happen that you meet a side in Europe and meet them again in the league a week later. But this is different. Back to back in Europe, they're very pivotal. They, there's a kind of a, a like a two-legged soccer. Um, affair as well. There's a head-to-head battle that you've got to come out on on top of, and it gives you a leg up on that other team for the rest of the pool stages. And also, you get fairly uh, volatile turnarounds. You know, you can see a team win by 30 odd points one week, get beaten by 40 odd a week later, um, because it's the, the team who comes out losing. Hmmm. if they're away from home, then have the game at home the following week, have got, I think, probably the most valuable emotional commodity in rugby and that's revenge. Um, <laughs> so there's all that the personal the jewels that sometimes can get a little bit embittered. Um, it's a bit samey with Munster and Le- uh, Leicester meeting, I think, is it at the third year in a row in the back-to-back? That, that's maybe why it doesn't feel like it has q- quite the allure mm. that it
4: possibly should have, but there's there are enough things that play around it that make it make it fascinating.
0: There's still rarely a better ground in the world than Thoman Park tea time on a Saturday and particularly when an English club come calling. There's just something very special about those Anglo-Irish games in, in Thoman Park. And um, Munster, more so than any of the other Irish problems, are, are really judged by what they do in Europe. You know, this is, so this is going to be very defining games in their season. And Leicester look a lot more vulnerable than the Exeter Chiefs. They lost to Worcester a couple of weeks back. They lost to Wasps at the weekend. Uh, they slipped to sixth. They're not scoring an awful lot of tries. Um, it would be a dogged game, you'd be sure, but i give Munster every chance of winning it. It's
1: some time for Fran Haran to come in, isn't it? Yeah. With obviously, CJ and O'Man, still hovering around in the background. He's only actually been in a week. Then straight into the pivotal games of their season,
0: like this really decides the rest of Munster's season. What are your early impressions of him? Good. Um, he comes with a very high reputation from anybody you speak to in South Africa. Uh, deep thinker about the game. Deep talk. Very very hard working ethic. Um, creative. Um, and he, I liked his comment. Um, I've got two ears and one mouth. In other words, he's been listening as much he's been listening more than he's been talking. He knows he's not going to try and reinvent the wheel at somewhere like Munster. He seems to get that pretty well. Letting Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery um, have the first game in charge while he had a watching brief, then coming in. And I think and he's wise to let to lean on Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery. Munster have got a great culture and he's learning about it as he goes along. And I think that's gonna make for as smooth a transition as is possible. It doesn't look ideal from the outside, but I'd say it's a lot more it's a lot slicker and more professional and seamless within the organisation than we think from the outside. I've always, always been asked all season long, oh gosh, Munster must be in a state of upheaval. But whenever you went down to the University of Limerick, it just seemed like business as normal. And when you think of everything they've gone through last season, change of coach midway through is pretty mild, really. Uh, I still think it's kind of messy, but the proof will be in the pudding, Jay.
4: Mm-hmm. If they go on and win the European Cup, I'm sure you'll, you'll bring that back to bite me later on. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. You're welcome.
2: Words alone are not enough. I have to, I have to resort to song. Oh, wow! Yeah, okay. A heart full of love, a heart full of song. I'm doing everything all wrong. Oh God, for shame! I do not even know your name, dear world service
4: subscriber. Won't you say? Won't you say?
0: Ken Early Oh my dot Secondcamps.com Go on and subscribe You're not already uh, a member Great value for money Better value for money Than the licence fee Some people
3: would say Alan Not me now Obviously but uh, not me I don't want to put them down But they seem to want to prove That you don't need to know Anything about football To write about it What you think Doesn't really matter The press come and go As we know You mentioned Ken Early Well yeah. you know I wouldn't I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football Second cap First cap Whatever
1: Back up to date now with uh, my sad captains,
4: not to be confused with second captains, the equally brilliant of second captains. It's my sad captains. Got an email in here. Subject The Dark Truth About Paul O'Brien. Greetings. Who the hell's Paul O'Brien on? Paul O'Brien, Murphy's a gentleman who World Service listeners will be familiar with from last week. He had complained. Well, all the World
2: Service listener, and I've forgotten who Paul O'Brien is. All the
4: way from a World Service, (laughs) all the way from uh, Washington, D.C., he complained about the lack of Manchester City Ah, coverage ah, on the World Service, and we then delivered plenty on that day, although maybe not. Greetings, Owen Murphy and Ken. This is from a series. This is from a number of people. This is a joint email. I love it. It shows that a lot of people have too much time in their hands but get on so well that they'll craft an email mm. together. So it's good. It was with disbelief and no small amount of jealousy that we listened to your kid glove treatment of Paul O'Brien aching about a lack of Man City coverage and felt it was incumbent upon you to expose some dark truths about the origins of Paul's Man City fandom and his generally capricious nature. Paul is a Man City fan by accident having requested a blue Chelsea t-shirt from his mammy many moons ago, only for her to return with a Man City shirt, which would become a yoke around his neck for many years until the arrival of the Petrodollars Dollars in Manchester. In addition, despite his near-starring role on your show last week, the ingrate that he is was still not satisfied with the amount of Man City coverage <laughs> you provided, complaining they still didn't talk about Man City, photographic evidence attached. Such is his hubris that he'll only be satisfied when an entire show is dedicated to his accidentally adopted team, with a response like that, perhaps we should be considering him for scumbag of the week. Here is in solidarity and pursuit of the truth, Niall, Manu, Jerry, Liverpool, Andy, Spurs, all of whom are loyal World Service subscribers. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for bringing us the truth about Paul O'Brien. I've gone back and checked the tape, Murph. 26 minutes, 41 seconds into last Thursday's Second Cabin's Football podcast. Yeah. Ken began talking about Manchester City. Yeah. A full five minutes later, five minutes of a 52 minutes podcast, we finished talking about Manchester City. Okay, four and a half of those minutes were given out about Pep Guardiola roaring at Nathan Redmond. But, <laughs> but to say man that we City. did not talk about Man City is incorrect. Factually incorrect. complete Paul, We're work. not going to fall out. We love you. Yeah, There's your manager... scumbag. Yeah, your manager... scumbag. <laughs> not that <all. laughs> Your manager
2: thinks that lecturing players who play against him on the field immediately after those games are over, I mean, that is a Man City issue. Mm. You know, he can't... Paul can't gainsay it any other way. I mean, that, that's just the fact of the matter. We were talking about Man City and their crazy manager.
4: It took him until the start of December, but Tiger Woods finally completed a golf tournament in 2017 and showed, I think, enough quality to get people thinking that 2018 may have a few big moments in store. Lawrence Donaghan, you haven't always been Tiger's greatest fan. Are you glad to see something approximating the real Tiger Woods back on a golf course? Uh,
3: yeah, I think I think the key word is the real Tiger Woods. I mean, it was actually, uh, you know, it was something to kind of get excited about looking at it. So, I mean, there's been a few comebacks before. I think especially... I mean, it absolutely mirrors last year, doesn't it? You know, he came back at the at the Hero, and there was a, you know, but there just seems to be something tangibly different about this year. I, obviously, the way he was swinging the golf club, but there was just something about his presence just seemed a bit more, um, quote unquote, real. So, yeah, it's it it pretty good. Actually, uh, he's kind of returned to illustrate the, some issues with the, uh, the current golf scene as well. The fact that he's come back to such a claim, such there seems to be such a desperation to embrace a a real Tiger Woods comeback. I mean, which it says, uh, A, it says a lot about Tiger Woods, but also says a lot about the current golf scene,
4: I think. Yeah, I and mean, he finished joint ninth in a class of, in a field of 18. So the definition of mid-table, <laughs> which obviously... <it> was, <laughs>
3: there you go, yeah, very good.
4: You know, which, which uh, yeah, which isn't necessarily enough. But yeah, but it's it's given where he's come from, how little he's played. And also I think how he reacted to his third round because he did shoot a 75. You might start thinking, well, if he puts in, he could stumble to an 80 like he was doing in his last comeback, but actually he comes back and hits another round in his 60s, which is pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, that that on Saturday was so weird, you know, because it, it really did come out of no came out of nowhere. When you think on the Sunday, I think you, uh, sorry on the on the Friday, I think you're out in 31. I mean, I, I mean, my my little social media world was entirely revolves around golf. My people were having heart attacks. It was, uh, and then he kind of throws in that, that that front nine on Saturday morning, but he came back from it pretty well. And I'd say Sunday was a Sunday was a is a blast, as you would say in in in, the kind of, uh, in American sport. Um, yeah, again, I was like, kind of, they call these things "hit and giggle" events. You know, they they pack them in at the end of the year. The, the ironic thing—I haven't ch- quite checked the world rankings, but I think he's up to six hundred and twenty-five, which kind of says something about the weirdness of the world rankings. Even you know, it's, it's an eighteen-man field, he's running it. He gives himself an invite and goes up the world rankings by six hundred odd points or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. He, um, but yeah, I, you know, it was still a decent field. with some really good players, and I think. You know, there's a couple of guys that you know really want to beat him. You, you know, and he, uh, you know, he was before the tournament started. He was having it out with uh, Justin Thomas, who's probably the best player in the world right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking here; he'd actually beat Justin Thomas by beat Justin Thomas by a shot. So it's kind of not to be. I mean, I know it's a it's a hit and giggle, but you know, it's still professional golfers. You know, they're playing for a million dollars first prize. I mean, it's a fair bit of money kicking around. Uh, so it's a a pretty good performance. And not so much, well, obviously, the way he finished is important, but the way he actually played, hmm. especially off the tee, uh, on it was. Uh, I haven't seen Tiger swing the golf club like that since, oh, you got to say 2007 or something. I really? I know he won the US Open in 2008, but he was swinging it like an old man then at that point. So that's the best, is the, the, uh, he, that's the best he swung it, swung it in,
4: in 10 years, you think?
3: Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, well, I mean, you could go through the technical side of things. There's people arguing that technically it's the best he swung it since. Since the Haney years, two thousand seven, two thousand six, and mm. um, so but that's an argument. I mean, it's, in fact, it's a huge argument going on on Twitter right now m- amongst all the kind of swing gurus. <laughs> but in terms of you know, swinging without apparent physical, pr- without any physical problems, that's certainly the best I've seen him going at it, as you say. You know, really going at it since you, you know two f- thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven.
4: You mentioned um, his presence there you get as well. Two thousand
3: eight, yeah. Uh, yeah, you get in two thousand eight, and the knees beginning to bother him. And then you get, you know, you know, from there to 2010. And then after two, after the scandal, he comes back, and there's obviously psychological problems. But then the back it really kicks in as well. So uh, yeah, I would say definitely physically, it's the best he's looked for a very very long time. Technically in the swing, uh, you know, I'm not an expert, but the swing looked pretty good to me. Uh, it was a kind of hybrid of the uh, Haney and Butch Harmon years. Um, so that, that's a pretty good uh, template to go with.
4: You mentioned his presence in your first answer. There, what, what did you what did you mean by that?
3: Well, just I don't know. There's something about uh, there's a, again. I don't have the, the stats to have, but there's a, these numbers of you know when Tiger played with guys in the final round back in the back in the, the glory days, you know their stroke average would go up about t- t- you know two shots or something. <laughs> you know, it's just just something about them. I, I, I don't know. Is it it's that imperceptible in, in thing? You know, when a when a superstar walks into a room, you know, a sporting superstar walks into a room or you know, he's—he's—you he, he, know, there's just something. I don't know what it is. It's some kind of cosmic thing. I don't. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, he, he just seemed to be uh, quite comfortable within himself, which is pretty weird when you think about it. I mean, I was watching him on TV in the in the commentary booth yesterday on American TV, and you can't remember. It's only three or four months since those videos of you know the the DUI, and it was pretty pathetic. And you think, oh my God, this guy—is this guy ever going to come back from that? But you know it. it He's either a fantastic actor or he, he really seems to have uh, kind of got himself in, in some kind of order psychologically. Um, and physically, you know, he's always been a pretty physically, you know, beaming kind of guy. He seems to have that glow about him. Uh, and the guys, you know, these kids, well, kids, they're not kids. Jordan Spie's 24, Justin Thomas is 25. You know, these kids, uh, you know, you know, he just has that X factor that says something like Phil Mickelson doesn't. You know that—that's what I mean. Again, it's kind of imperceptible. I sound like a gibbering idiot here, but you know, there is just something about Tiger. He's always had it, and he seems he might have got some of it back.
4: Yeah, so that's the question: whether or not he has got much of it back. Speaking on the technical side of things, where has he fallen down over the last few days? Do you think? I mean, there are short game demons that weren't there when he was at his very best. Obviously, are you? Do you think that he can actually iron those kind of bits out over the next twelve months?
3: Uh, yeah, th- th- that would be the one. You know, asterisk, I would think. Um, I mean, driving was just sensational. I mean, we started. I think he bombed. I think he hit it twenty-five yards past Justin Thomas off the first tee on Thursday morning, which really said something. Uh, he hit some incredible iron shots, and it was not so much you know hitting great shots close to the flag. It was a, the you know the variety of shots. I mean, he was hitting knockdowns. He was hitting high. I mean, he hit a couple of high three woods, which were. I, mean, I think the shot at the, the, the golfing world last year, I think it was Justin Thomas at a, a, a three-wood on the 72nd hole at the US Open. You know, a towering 290-yard three-wood that landed like a, a pitching wedge. Tiger hit a couple of those over the course of four days. Um, he put, he putty pretty well. You know, there was a couple of really weird ones, you know, in and, and speed control. But, you know, I'm sure that's, that's a kind of rustiness. The one thing is, is this kind of chipping. Uh, there's still a signs that his chipping is is still a bit sketchy. W- when he went away, when you know, 2014, you know, his last appearances, when he, we saw, him, he really did have a serious case of the chipping hips, and nobody comes back from the chipping hips. Nobody does. Nobody ever has. Uh, so that's and um, that was a, a bit strange. Uh, he had a couple of those certainly on Thursday. A couple of real, absolutely 100% duffs, which would uh, co- give, give give you some pause for thought. But there wasn't much of that around, and you would hope that, you know, it might just you could put it put it down to rust. Uh, we'll see about that. The other thing is, uh, you, you know, it is possible to kind of play around. Uh, I mean, if your chipping isn't absolutely top top notch, which it needs to be for these guys, you can sometimes play around it a little bit. I mean, you look at a guy like Martin Kamer, essentially, you know, he essentially won the 2015 US Open with the chipping hits. I mean, the guys had a problem with chipping for a very long time. But but what you can do. You know, you can do what what Kymer did, or what Kymer, even what Kymer still does. But you, you can play around it. Uh, but that, I mean, you know, there'll be instances where you're maybe just off the green and in a norm, normal circumstances, if you were completely confident, if you were Jordan Speed, you would have no hesitation. You'd pull it away and just chip it. But sometimes you can, especially depending on the grasses, I mean, not too, too technical. Some grasses you can't putt through. But so a lot of grasses you can putt through. So instead of chipping, you can actually just you can you can put it uh so that gets around that slight issue it, it, it mitigates the problem um so if you get that if you play around it a little bit and 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 you can hope well from tigers perspective you, you can hope that it's a it's rustiness and not an actual technical issue that remains to be seen of course i, I mean it's not a, it's not a death knell for a for a real proper major winning comeback
4: Lawrence, listen great to catch up thanks
3: a million all the best on take care, mate. 1850 715 815 Hello,
2: good afternoon and you're very welcome to Lion Live. Five one our text number and Joe at rt.ie from wherever you are in the world. Ken, good afternoon. How are you? You saw it, what happened? I mean I actually was abused by a Dane as well. Mm-hmm. The night before. Go ahead. I was I was I was having uh dinner after the the, the, you know, we finished our work or whatever on the Friday. Went into town. We were we were sitting in a restaurant. Uh, with, you were a journalist, uh, uh, and uh, myself mm-hmm. and three other journalists. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, we were. It turned out we were all looking at our phones simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like we were waiting, waiting, in the bill or something. Mm-hmm. and This Danish guy mm-hmm. he staggered up from behind sort of, mm-hmm. suddenly leaned on the table and he goes, "Go ahead." Is there a Wi-Fi?
0: Is there a Wi-Fi in here?
2: The whole thing, say, Ken. The whole thing is is getting more and more bizarre. You, you didn't do it, did you? Did you report that to the FAI or anything We were like. Uh, uh, actually, we're just still on the 3G. Mm-hmm. Before we could finish explaining, we weren't actually on the Wi-Fi. He goes, "Wi-Fi wankers, you're all Wi-Fi wankers." Did he write because, this himself? Did he we compose were, or Did he compose this line himself? You know, uh, he all he'd seen was four. Like, I don't know how he knew we were Irish, but he he knew.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Wi-Fi wankers, mm-hmm. you're all Wi-Fi wankers.
4: <laughs> Murph, we're going to wrap things up pretty soon but I would like to know if anything caught your eye in the GA world over the weekend Uh, yeah well uh, uh, I was in the car
2: yesterday around uh, half three four o'clock and uh, it was quite strange to be driving you know with the headlights on darkness descending at a rate of knots and listening to RT Radio 1 giving us county final updates (laughs) I mean it's the third of of December they should have all been wrapped up by now well I mean I don't think it's any major acts that there was the Waterford football final and the Galway hurling final. Mm-hmm. The two teams that were basically involved in the Ireland hurling final this year uh, being incapable of finishing their uh, championships in time for, you know, the start of the Christmas <laughs> <laughs> shopping rush. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just... It is crazy. I mean, there are so many, uh, you know, uh, very, very much... Uh, very well-researched, massive amounts of work put into... It. How do we, you know, make sure that uh, club players get to play their club championships in a, you know, at a decent time of year? It turns out just moving the All Ireland finals three weeks in, uh, uh, closer to the high summer is going to work, and it's going to work if you move it another two weeks as well. And it's just e- the easiest way in the world to ring fence this time to ensure that you're not playing county finals in December. But that's just what you have to do. I mean, I, like the rest of it is just going to be carved up by county managers. Probably we'll see how it goes next year. Hopefully, I will be wrong. But it just does kind of go to show if you're playing in September, it probably means your club players are going to be playing in December. But uh, Lee Mellows won their uh, first Galway title in 47 years or something, which means that um, the Galway County Champions, Champions, the Limerick County Champions, the Waterford county, Champion, Ch- county Champions, and the Cork representatives in the Munster Hurling Championship, even though they didn't win the county final, Blackrock, all of them were cl- uh, club teams from the city. Uh, which is actually a really encouraging thing uh, because in, uh, you know, uh, various cities, the game is obviously going to be stronger than it is in others. But particularly for, say, Limerick and Galway, to have thriving, hurling clubs winning county titles is actually just, is just brilliant because that's the way the GA is going. There are obviously going to be way more people uh, living in cities than there are living in the countryside. And the idea of strong clubs in those cities where previously maybe hurling wasn't that, uh, huge a sport that can only be a
4: positive thing yeah well done to Cora Staunton also for yeah. picking up her honor and title we spoke to Cora about her training for that game while also spending a couple of nights a week kicking an Aussie rules ball to get in the right uh, in the right zone for her Aussie rules career which yeah, now begins
2: I guess she flies out tomorrow her yep.
4: uh, new teammates recorded a, a video for her
2: on on uh, on Twitter and sent it to her uh, last night to congratulate her on uh, Karen O'Connor's
4: uh, All Ireland final win. Congratulations to you, Murph, on the completion of another podcast, and to you, all. and to you, Simon. Thanks and very to much. thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> this is uh, that? the second time it's gone Never
1: go home. They never go home.
2: They never go home. Does.